welcome to the To Love, Honor, and Vacuum podcast. I'm Sheila from ToLoveHonorAndVacuum.com, and we have an interesting program this week because it is the one-year anniversary uh, since I did my big series on the book Love and Respect and how that book got sex horribly wrong and marriage horribly wrong. And so on the one-year anniversary, we want to come full circle, finish that series, and um, just say a few more things to deal with some loose ends. It's been a big week on the blog, I'll tell you. Um, we're in the middle of our Iron Sharpening Iron series in marriage about how to get positive change going and how it's not a sin to confront your spouse. Uh, and then I talked about how it's not okay for marriage books to do a little bit of harm because I hear that from a lot of people. I hear them say, well, you know, I mean, I know the book, I didn't agree with everything in the book and I can see how it might hurt some, but we really found it helpful. That's not okay. And then yesterday we published our big 5,000 word uh, letter that we sent to Focus on the Family in October about their support of love and respect and outlining all of our problems with the book. And I wanted to publish that just to end off our series. I wanted to publish it in October, but we were doing our survey and our survey was open. We did not want to prime our audience. So we waited until the survey was closed to publish this letter. And we thought, hey, let's do it this week on the one year anniversary. Um, and, and I made sure that this week, the one year anniversary also coincided with the week where we were talking about how it is not a sin to confront your spouse because Rebecca got into something interesting with the loveandrespect.com website and uh, around this issue of confronting your spouse. And I thought, you know, let's just deal with this on this last week so that we can put it behind us and move on. So to outline this story and tell you how it all got started, I've brought Rebecca onto the podcast. This is my daughter, by the way. Hey, Rebecca. Hello. And I do want to say that my husband is being wonderful and taking the baby and the dog right now. So if you hear any dog or baby noises in the background, it's just because we have both in our house. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so pretty much back in September, we had been talking about love and respect for a while on the blog at this point. And I just decided that, you know, if we're going to be talking about this, we need to do 100% everything we can to make sure that like the dude himself, Emerson Egrich, hears what we're saying and has a chance to respond personally. Mm -hmm. And we, we know that he did read it because he did write several blog posts to, to deal with the issues that we raised back when we first exactly. uh, wrote this thing in January. But we just wanted to be upfront. We wanted to be 100% upfront. We wanted to make sure that he knew who we were, why we were saying what we were saying, so that it was very clear to him how he could fix it if he wanted to, to give him every chance to make amends with the people who his writing has hurt and who have claimed that his writing has actually caused abusive marriages to get worse or bad marriages to become abusive. So I decided to go onto his website and just read a blog post and just send them a comment, which you can't actually do. So I had to send like an email submission form. Right. You used to right? be able to comment on his site. Yes. We're not mm -hmm. saying that anything in particular is the reason why you can't comment anymore. But December 2018, you could comment and February 2019, you could not. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of you probably went and started talk, started calling out the toxic theology um, and they right after the series ran initially. yeah and, and, and i think and, it, it made them close comments so i mean at mm -hmm. least it, it i hope it means that people were speaking up about what is true and not mm -hmm. that people were just simply bullying the man mm -hmm. um but you couldn't do a comment so i sent in an email on on the blog form about a post called your spouse's weaknesses call for your sympathy not your condemnation 
Okay. And here's very simply what I said. And I used my real name. I used my real email address. Again, we are being 100% upfront, very transparent here, okay? Mm-hmm. So I said, this article has an important message, but you need to add something about the difference between weaknesses, character flaws, and actual evil. You mentioned weakness and evil, such as adultery or abuse, but not the middle one. Unfortunately, many marriages are struggling because of character issues, which is not addressed here, and the response to that is different than the response to weakness. If a husband is perpetually lazy, late, or speaks in a tone of voice that is unkind, then he needs to be called out and rebuked by his wife. If a husband is refusing to help with housework or is making extra work for his wife for no reason, that is a character flaw known as selfishness. She needs to be told you can call him to more. And my concern is that the article is telling her you need to be quiet and look to God for strength to deal with his weakness. That's not a healthy message to that woman. The distinction needs to be made because calling each other to more is part of being equally yoked. It's how we make each other stronger in marriage and grow more like Christ. I think that the message that we shouldn't hold people to unreasonable standards and we need to recognize that weakness is not sin is a good one. But this article could easily make a spouse in a marriage with a person with serious character flaws unable to call out those issues. If you added something about how husbands and wives can both call out character flaws and need to challenge each other towards love and good deeds when we fall short, that would help balance this article further. Mm-hmm. That's all I said. Yeah. So okay. you're basically making the point that we are making this week on the blog yeah. that it is good to confront your spouse when something is wrong. Yeah. And by the way, I will link to that post and to all the other posts this week in our podcast description because this podcast really is the culmination of those three blog posts that have already run this week. So don't miss those links. They will be in the description for this podcast. Okay. Now what Exactly. Mm-hmm. So I tried to be very nice to them because we have been very confrontational. So I was like, okay, here's just something I actually agree 85% of the way with. Okay. Right. And mm-hmm. then let's, mm-hmm. here's just what's missing. Right. Mm-hmm. And then I get a response, which starts out with pleasantries and stuff, but just for the sake of time. What you consider character flaws and what another considers character flaws can be two different things. Some of what you are calling flaws are actually personal preferences. For example, you may prefer that your husband not be lazy. What you think is lazy, another person may not. Is he on the couch all day, every day doing nothing, lazy or depressed? Or is he on the couch at night after working hard all day, which is overwork, exhausted and stressed, and too tired to help around the house? The principles of love and respect come into play in how you address these preferences. Calling someone out is a harsh confrontation, not a respectful one. If you want to see your husband's spirit soften towards you and allow God to move him to show you love in ways that are meaningful to you, then you need to make requests respectfully. Think about what your husband would consider your character flaws. We all have them, so be honest with yourself here. Now, would you prefer he speak to you about his preferences in a loving tone, or would you want him to call you out and rebuke you? Next, look at how you calling him out has worked for you in the past. I would think it hasn't worked well, or you wouldn't be emailing us. Showing love or respect towards a spouse is no guarantee that things will change, but harsh tones, as you yourself mentioned above, will not work. Again, you can respectfully discuss these things with your husband. Use a soft tone. Be mindful of your words and facial expressions. Many times, though, going quiet does work. This is not to make you a doormat. It is to make you realize that not everything needs to be called out that you think should. So there's there's a little bit more and then she ends with ultimately we can only change ourselves so you do your part of Ephesians 5:33 and let God take care of the rest try it and you will never wonder what if i had done it god's way we hope this helps okay and just to be very clear because we do not want to misrepresent anything that was said here we are going to be posting a full pdf with the entire email chain yep. and i told them that i would be doing this okay so they already know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but just to just to let people know we're not going to misrepresent we're not trying to take out a context if you think we have you can read the whole thing mhm so that's what they sent me. Right. And by the way, I, just for, for even more context, last week on the podcast, you and Connor were actually on the podcast talking about how, how you we each call each other, each other. Yeah. In the, yeah. In the first year of marriage and, and 
subsequently um, to spur each other on to love and good deeds. And so this has worked very well in your marriage. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> both so, ways. Both ways. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. So then um, I'm obviously not going to read the entire email chain here because it, it was quite long, but I'm just going to roughly read my reply and then mm-hmm. a short section of the following two emails and that's it. Okay. Okay. So here was what I responded. Thank you for your response. Again, however, it is incredibly concerning that the only option given to women is to be silent and just bear with it, and it seems that you are unable to understand that rebuking can be done in a loving fashion. I believe it is one of the faults of love and respect at its core. It seems to think that if the message doesn't sound nice, it is fine if it is disregarded by the husband. Love and respect seems very unwilling to identify character flaws or admit that husbands may have character flaws, but seems quite quick to note that wives can have character flaws. You even pointed out my flaws in this email when that was not when this was not about me, but about a theoretical situation with a sinning husband. And then, when women are told they can speak up about it, we're only allowed to do so in very specific ways in order to placate our sinning husbands. A husband should not be told he doesn't have to listen to godly counsel of his wife if it doesn't come in exact right packaging. I would also point you to Matthew 18 for how such behavior should be dealt with. It never says you should stay silent. I personally, actually, am in an incredibly happy, healthy marriage, but work with women who have been emotionally abused in marriages through our website. One of the reasons my marriage is quite healthy and happy is that both of us are able to call each other out on our actions that are not Christ-like. My husband and I have both done this, and it is important since it is part of the refining process that we are called to as Christians. You assume it hasn't worked well. My husband will be the first to disagree. He often gives examples of times when I called him out and made him a better person, and I do the same. We both speak about it publicly to help couples understand that we are meant to call each other to more in Christ, not enable sinfulness and immaturity through silence. On the flip side, many of the marriages we hear about on our website followed the love and respect protocol for years in an effort to change husbands with serious character flaws, and it made them more selfish and even abusive as they were allowed to get away with treating their wives unlovingly. When the only response is, you do nothing and wait, we are disrupting the biblical principle of sowing and reaping. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. It is concerning that love and respect protocol for women is so focused on ensuring that the husband doesn't ever face the reality of his selfish, unloving actions. Instead, when the husband does something bad, the wife reaps the punishment. Women who choose not to put up with sinful or immature behavior do not trust God any less than women who decide to stay silent and do nothing. But I would argue that in many cases, women who call their husbands to become more, to grow in Christ, to go on towards love and good deeds, are bringing God's kingdom to earth much more than when women are silent and allow for selfishness to go unchecked. I encourage you to reconsider that people may only have an issue with love and respect because they are unhappy. I personally have a problem with it because it has been shown to enable abuse in many, many marriages. I highly recommend you to read this in-depth statistical analysis of hundreds of stories of the readers of love and respect to understand where this concern is coming from. It is attached to this email, and I attached the initial report that we did last year. Mm Mm-hmm. I would suggest rereading the email you sent me from the life from the lens of a wife whose husband is addicted to pornography and unrepentant, refusing to find a job and is instead playing video games all day and financially harming the family as a result, or verbally abusive to the wife or children in the family. I hope you were able to see how the advice you gave me would cause a great deal of damage and even potential danger for women in these situations. Let's remember that making a mistake or being wrong doesn't make us bad people. But when we continuously ignore the damage our actions have done, that is when we cross the line into sin. My prayer is that the Love and Respect Ministry begins to rethink how it is taught with this one verse without taking the entire context of what it means to be a follower of Jesus into account. As well, I hope that Emerson and the Love and Respect Ministry begin to look at the research done into the effects of this book, but also research done by psychologist Emerson himself has touted as experts such as Gottman, who fundamentally disagrees with the premise of this book and has found it to be damaging as well. We are not the only ones who have found this teaching leads to harm. Thank you again for your response. Have a great day. Okay. Okay. And then they sent back a doozy. 
Yes. And so one of their, and so they sent back a very, very large email, a lot of it being, and I'm not going to read it because it's all arguments that have been put out by them again and again and again. The first one being that Emerson Egrich does speak out against abuse and he does lots of stuff about abuse and he talks about abuse at conferences and he puts it on his blog. But again, whenever they give this argument, they are fundamentally ignoring our concern, which is your book Mm-hmm. does not give examples of a woman standing up to abuse and she is praised for it. Instead, right. the book is giving examples of women in clearly abusive situations and mm-hmm. she's just quiet and respectful and she's praised for it. Yeah, and the way that they define respectful, of course, just as a caveat, is not the way that we would define respectful. I think it's no. respectful to treat someone like you expect them to be a healthy person. Exactly. it's confronting sin. Exactly. It's treating them mm-hmm. like a grown-up. Yes, I think that's being respectful. Precisely. Um, and and we'll be talking about that more on the second segment when your father comes on the, the, the podcast to talk about some of the comments that we got in the survey. But, but yeah, that is an important point. I'd also like to point out, too, that um, in sermons that he's done recently, he doesn't actually talk about abuse in the way that we would like to see him do. And instead, he diminishes the reality of emotional abuse and even uses it as a punchline um, mm-hmm. in jokes. And, and I will link to the video of that. And I did link to the video of that in our letter to focus on the family, which appeared yesterday. Exactly. And so throughout her next email, she just says pretty much that she that love and respect does say that women need to stand up and they need to confront their husbands. But the problem is, we're never given any example of what confrontation actually looks like. And anytime you give an example of confrontation, it's called disrespectful. So, and of course, again, you can read the emails for yourself just to make sure that everyone knows I'm not misrepresenting. Everything is mm-hmm. out on the floor, including what I said word for word, okay? Mm-hmm. But there was a continuous stress that we want women to be able to stand up for themselves and confront their husbands, but also you're not allowed to call out your husband or be disrespectful and you have to have a nice tone of voice. But what happens if a nice, calm tone of voice just isn't going to work? What happens when you need to be firm? Yes, and I think that's the key. Being firm does not mean you're being disrespectful. It doesn't, exactly. But then she goes on to say this. May I ask you to try what I have the ladies in my groups do? Ask your husband if you have ever come across disrespectfully when you confronted him about something. Tell him to be completely honest with you. I understand you have a wonderful marriage, but we are all human. None of us do this perfectly all the time. If your husband says yes, you have, can you please have him email Dr. Emerson to tell him how he, as a man, handles being rebuked slash confronted by someone who displays contempt slash disrespect? This would be helpful for us to know. It is possible that a husband who can do this is actually honoring his part in Ephesians 5.33, responding in love, regardless of his wife's disrespectful rebuke slash confrontation. Again, this does not mean that we wives can't ever say anything. It just means we need to be mindful of how we say things, which again, they never actually tell you how you're allowed to say things. They only tell you how you're not allowed to say things. And anytime you bring anything up, it's also not okay. Right. If he says that you do and he responds positively to a disrespectful confrontation, he is extraordinary. We truly want to learn from him. Let us insert, we are not talking about those moments when we all get a bit nasty. We give grace here. But when it comes to this core idea that you are advocating, do you rebuke with a spirit of disdain and disgust? Truth carries its own weight, and thus we speak in truth in a loving and respectful way as best we can. What a spouse does of that is up to the spouse. If a spouse continues with abuse, do we conclude, well, we need to rebuke back with contempt to unhostility to prevent abuse? That becomes a vicious and hostile cycle that does not honor God. And what's extraordinary here is that you never said anything about being disrespectful never. when you confront your spouse or rebuke your spouse. No, I just said that I confront him and I call him out on stuff. Which is not disrespectful. It's not disrespectful. And she just, they couldn't get this out of their head that I simply saying, maybe if a wife wants her husband to get a job and not put her family in financial ruin by just sitting around playing video games all day, 
she should be able to call him out on that immediately means she's disrespectful and not following god and that she's showing contempt and that she's showing disdain yeah it's just ridiculous that it, it seems that unless you are completely willing to lie down and be nice all the time and nice not in the sense of good but nice Mm -hmm. in the sense of soft comfortable not scary at all Mm -hmm. you can't be following god as a wife and i'm sorry and there have been times that i have been disrespectful towards connor there have been times that he's been disrespectful towards disrespectful towards me and i guess she would probably put this under those times we all get a little bit nasty but if we're not talking about times we get a little bit nasty then can i just put all of my apparently disrespectful rebuking under oh i was just a little bit nasty so that's okay like this doesn't make any sense no and I'd, i'd like to bring it back now to what love and respect does say confrontation looks like and this is what we were talking about on monday's post and this is really why i wanted to talk about this today because it relates to our iron sharpening iron series um, that is airing this week on the blog on to love on and vacuum because one of the points that i was making is that it is not disrespectful to confront your spouse and yet throughout this email chain that is how the love and respect team interpreted it that if you are confronting your spouse you must be being if you as a wife are confronting your husband you must be being disrespectful exactly because if someone read my comment and they did believe that it was me personally having a a a marriage issue because we get comments like this all the time Mm-hmm. We get comments all the time saying, hey, I liked your post, but I don't like that. Or we get comments who where it is explicitly a marriage issue. Like, we've been struggling with this in our marriage. The answer mm-hmm. isn't immediately to assume that they're being disrespectful because they have an issue with their husband. Mm-hmm. Maybe their husband's just lazy and a bad person. That's also an option. But the Love and Respect website never seems to actually consider the fact that the woman might actually have a point here. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so about my husband being extraordinary for being able to handle my um, disrespectful contempt and rebuke, I responded this. And my husband actually responded with me, but he, re- he didn't want to email himself because of principle. Right. But here's, here's what we said. In terms of your response to me personally, you are still conflating confrontation with disrespect. In Love and Respect, Emerson Egrich gives examples of how a wife can handle a workaholic husband, which consists of saying two to three sentences and then being quiet for 10 to 20 days. This is not healthy and this is not real confrontation. And yet, both he and you seem to be assuming that doing anything beyond this is disrespectful. This is ignoring Matthew 18 and is toxic marriage advice. It is incredibly inappropriate to ask for my husband's opinion on how he deals with my disrespect as it assumes that I am unable to be a reliable narrator of my own story. My husband, who read this email himself, was also offended on my behalf as any emotional healthy man should be. The theme of not trusting women to narrate their own stories is evident throughout Love and Respect's publications, specifically in a blog post that I linked to, which was discussed in, and then I, I linked to my pod, our podcast that where you and Deb yeah. discussed it. Right. In fact, when my husband read what you said to me, his response was this. Even if my wife were to be disrespectful, I am not so fragile that I couldn't handle that, and I would still listen. I am not so fragile that I would fall apart at a bit of disrespect if there were a valid message beneath it. And I don't consider disagreement or confrontation, even heated ones, as disrespectful. He is far more focused on truth than he is on my tone of voice, because as an emotionally healthy man, he cares about becoming more like Christ more than he cares about having his ego stroked. He understands that we all need to be open to being humbled, and that needing humbling sometimes doesn't come in fluffy, soft messages. This is exactly the same way I feel about him confronting me, because both of us are approaching marriage from an emotionally healthy perspective. You also say that he is extraordinary for being able to take criticism, even if it's disrespectful. And again, their definition of disrespectful, not ours. 
Right. I find that incredibly concerning since the majority of men that I know inside and outside of the church are expected to be able to listen to women even if the message doesn't come in pretty packaging. That's just the measure of emotional maturity. May I suggest that perhaps my husband is not extraordinary in this way, but that the love and respect community rather is oversaturated with emotionally unhealthy men? Because I can assure you this ability to listen even when someone is quote-unquote disrespectful is not abnormal. And most people do not label disagreement or confrontation as disrespect. They label it as simply what it is, disagreement and confrontation. Amen. (laughs) And, you know, I I actually do want to give them a chance to speak for themselves. So let's look at what is actually said in love and respect about confronting your spouse. Because what they really do do is exactly what you said, Becca, is they equate a woman bringing up an issue as disrespectful. And it's amazing how many times Emerson Egridge in love and respect gives an example of his wife simply expressing her feelings. And it is called disrespectful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so let's go over in in the one that you mentioned in the email this is what they said you're supposed to do so here's the scenario you think your husband's a workaholic and you think he's never home and you're worried about this and so this is what Emerson Egerich says in love and respect in the appendix this is his example that he gives of how a wife should confront her husband and it's really the only example I could find in the book of a specific example of how it's okay to confront your husband so this is this is the Emerson Egerich approved way of confronting your spouse in sin here's what you're supposed to do you say Your son needs you at home more. You have a unique influence on him. In certain areas, nobody matters to him as much as you do. It may not appear that way to you, but your positive presence has the power to mold him. I know you are swamped and have little time, but I also know that you want to give him that part of you that no one else can give to him. Thank you. And then you must be silent for 10 to 20 days. And you must say this in a kind voice. Yeah, and there's no consideration at all that maybe she's just feeling alone and hurting. Can she even say, I am hurt when you don't come home until 9 o'clock at night? Or can she even say, I feel isolated and abandoned because you're choosing your work over your marriage? Can she say that? I don't think she's allowed to because in this thing that she is allowed to say, notice that she never mentions her own feelings. Exactly. And then Egrich gives an example in the book of himself as a workaholic. Like, and his wife said to him, you never spend any time with me and you're always busy. And she feels alone. And he used that as an example of her disrespect. So her emotions is disrespectful. Her right. having emotions, her being anything of her own person and speaking her own feelings and speaking how she truly experiences the world, if it doesn't mean you are the most amazing, perfect husband I've ever could ever imagine, is immediately disrespect, which means the entire idea of confrontation can never happen because love and respect is not actually about pointing people towards Christ. It's about making sure that husbands feel that they are the best even when they are living in sin. Mm-hmm. Or even when they are not living in sin, but just not living to their potential or just not doing something that's kind for their wives. How on mm-hmm. earth is a wife going to their husband saying, I feel alone and abandoned, a sign of disrespect from a loving husband. If he honestly believes that husbands are to love, then that example should not have been one of her disrespect, but of his unlove. Exactly. And he does this repeatedly in the book where whenever his wife says a feeling, he then calls it disrespectful. Like uh, a great example, he bought her a birthday card instead of an anniversary card. She felt upset about that. And that was her being disrespectful because she didn't honor the, the work that he did go in and remembering the anniversary. But he didn't get her an anniversary card. He got her a birthday card. Yeah. 
Yeah. So to sum up, the way that he thinks you're allowed to confront is you do not share your feelings. All you're allowed to do is to give your own observations, but then you must leave it to him to draw his own conclusions. But even the observations can never be critical. The observation there with the workaholism wasn't you're being a workaholic. It was you are the most amazing, perfect person Mm -hmm. that your son needs. Don't you want to be amazing and perfect? Mm Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with saying to a workaholic husband, you're being a workaholic and it's harming our family. Your kids really need more time with you. I'm feeling alone and isolated and I'm worried that our marriage is going to struggle. We need to talk about how we can figure out a better schedule for our family so that we truly are a family unit and not simply a husband who works and then the family back at home. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with doing that. In fact, if, exactly. In fact, there's something wrong with not doing that if you feel like you're drowning and if your kids are losing out on the relationship with your dad. Yeah. People have been calling us really critical of this or saying that we've been very harsh. And the reality is we have been very harshly critiquing this because there are things that need to be critiqued. It is incredibly harmful to tell a woman that her emotions and her feelings and her very logical and valid reactions to her husband's insensitive or selfish behavior are disrespectful in complete nature. Mm-hmm. It's incredibly wrong to tell a woman that she should not be able to go to her husband and just lay her soul bare in front of him. He is supposed to know her. Mm -hmm. He is supposed to be the person in this entire planet who knows her soul better than anyone else. And yet she can't share it with him for fear of disrespecting him. Yeah. And that's really a problem. That is sad. That is a tragedy. I cannot imagine being in a marriage where I could not share myself with my husband. And that is why we have to critique it. It's not because we have a personal vendetta. It's not because we want to critique it. For Pete's sake, we didn't even plan on critiquing it. We didn't want to do this. None of us asked for this. I did not want this email exchange with this poor woman on love and respect. And there's a reason. And that's why I'm keeping her name and everything about her personally completely blacked out of it. It was not to try to hide anything. It's just to make sure that her identity is completely protected. Mm -hmm. But I didn't want it. I literally just posted a comment and it had nothing to do with me personally. And then they started telling me that I was a bad, disrespectful wife. Yeah. And it's just, it blew my mind. I never asked for this and still it came. And that's why we have to talk about it because these things are harmful, whether or not they're nice to talk about, whether or not it's comfortable to call out people because real people are behind the stories of abuse here. Real people are the ones who say we followed love and respect for years and my husband became more and more selfish and I became more and more alone and I felt further and further from God because because of this toxic advice. We need to speak up because this isn't about theology. This isn't about the author. This isn't about anything except for the real children of God who are suffering and who are struggling needlessly because we continue to prop up harmful marriage propaganda instead of helpful Christ-centered teachings that lead to freedom, love, and joy in marriages. Yeah, and that really has been our heart. It honestly has. And we want to help people be able to feel as if they have a marriage where they are truly and fully known and yet still truly and fully loved and accepted. And when we feel like we have to keep back a large part of ourselves in order to be a good wife or a good husband even, we're undermining that very thing. And I, I, you know, before we move on to the second segment where I bring my husband on, I want to keep back on for just a second and just let you know um, 
how all of this came to be and what our plans are for the future with regards to this. Because basically, I only ever intended to write one post, which was about love and respect and sex. And I wrote that one post and it went so big and everybody was asking me for more of my opinion on the book. And so I wrote a few more posts about the book and then we just had, we were inundated with comments, just heartbreaking comments of the women who had really suffered in their marriage because of this book. So we put together a report and we talked about it, we prayed about it, and we really felt like we had to bring it up with a focus on the family because they were the ones who originally partnered with Emerson Egrich to, to publish this. Their logo is on some of the copies of the book. They still heavily promote it. They give it out as a freebie, often for with donations and things like that. And so we sent the report into them and a letter which they ignored. Uh, and and then we sent more letters and more letters, and finally we got them to respond. And um, and then I sent that final email, which we published on the blog yesterday, our 5,000 word email with everything that was wrong and asking focus on the family to please reconsider. And if you want to see a list of all the problematic things that are in love and respect, it's not comprehensive, but it's a lot of them are in that email. And how Emerson Egrich treats women online is very problematic too. Dismissing their concerns and telling women that if they think they're being abused, they're not really being abused. They're just, they're just being disrespectful and misunderstanding their husbands. And this is not healthy. And this needs to be called out and so we called it out and I really hope we're done please Becca I hope we're done please tell me that we're done I really hope we're done too I think that's just what's been hard for me as we're going through all of this because although I'm not the face of a lot of what's been going on you are Mm -hmm. I have been just as involved in the background Mm -hmm. and I have borne I think as much of the emotional burden of hearing these stories and seeing people do nothing yeah and the two main things that I took away from this last year, which have really been something that for me has also been quite a faith journey and quite a bit of wrestling that I've had to go through, is that continuously, whenever we brought up concerns about people being harmed, what we were met with was theology. Mm -hmm. For us, this has never been about theology. Theology is important. Theological discussions are important. Of course they are. But over and over and over again in the Gospels, through Jesus' own actions, he shows that our theology is never more important than giving hope to the weary, than giving healing to people who need it. It's never more important than the people who are downtrodden around us and who are harmed. And that is what has been so difficult for me to see, is that we go to people saying, we know that there are hundreds of examples of abuse or selfishness or sin that has been enabled by this book. And what we're and what we're met with is you have a theological agenda against this book. No, honestly, there are so many books out there that have the same theological beliefs that Emerson Egrich does, and we do not attack them because we do not get people saying this book caused abuse in my marriage. Mm-hmm. This book caused abuse in their marriage. We didn't go through it with theological arguments. We literally just came to them saying, people are being hurt. Can you please listen to them? And they said, well, that doesn't fit with our theology. And I'm sorry, but Jesus looks at people mm-hmm. before he looks at theology in the, in the Gospels. Mm-hmm. He really does. And throughout all the Gospels, the people who took theology more important than people were chastised by Jesus, not praised for their high view of scripture. Mm-hmm. Because they missed the point. Because we also have to remember that we have a Savior who leaves the 99 for the one. And that was another response we got a lot. Well, it helps so many people. Okay, well... 99 sheep were safe. 
-hmm. And he still left to go get the one, the frustrating one, the very inconsiderate one who got stuck Mm -hmm. down a hole, like in a hole, down a hill it wasn't supposed to go down. Or, you know, it wasn't the nice little tidy one who was exactly where he was supposed to be. He got lost because he separated himself from the herd. And Jesus still goes and he leaves all the convenient, nice, not difficult, no rustling the waters 99 who are safely in their sheep pen to go get the one mischief maker. Mm-hmm. And so why are we abandoning the one for the 99? Yeah. And that's what's really hurt me again and again is seeing people choose theology over people and seeing people completely disregarding those who are suffering because they're simply inconvenient to talk about. Because it might mean fewer book sales. It might mean they have to reconsider all the different products that they put out there. They may mean that they have to do extra work to recant things, or they have to actually take on the problem of thinking, maybe I was wrong. Mm -hmm. And I just think that until we get to a place in our churches where the lost one is always worth the risk of having to realize we were wrong, or losing out on money, or making our entire ministry having to go through its resources to make sure all of it is safe. Unless we finally understand the value of that lost sheep, we will never fully look like Christ. And that is what has been weighing on my heart for a year, is that there are a lot of Christians who are seeking after the one, who are going out there looking for him. But a lot of the really big names out there are very happy with the 99 and are very content to forget about the one and brush them off as a nuisance. Yeah, and I just want to, and I totally agree with you, but I just want to say it's not even 99 and 1. No, it's not. Because in our survey, what we found, and, and your father and I will be talking about this in just a minute, is that more people said this book harmed them than helped them. Mm-hmm. So this book is doing more harm than good. And it might be that there's a ton of people who in the middle who are neutral. Mm-hmm. But when you ask people specifically what resources harmed you and what resources helped you, more people love and respect came to mind as a harmful thing then it came to mind as a helpful one and they need to contend with that because they do that matters and those women matter those marriages matter uh and there's no getting around that if you have a heart for jesus you have a heart for the hurting and you certainly do not promote things that hurt people exactly and i think what i just hope that people can understand out of this podcast and out of the post this week and everything that we're posting about all this is that You can believe that we're coming at this from an angry place of pride or something like that, but we're really, really not. This has been a year of heartbreak, Mm -hmm. a year of just harrowing disappointment Mm -hmm. for all of us. It has not been us trying to tear down someone else just for fun, Mm -hmm. just because we feel like it, for jollies. Mm -hmm. You know, it's nothing like that. This is something that we didn't want to have to do and has been horrible Mm -hmm. that we realize is now our responsibility for a year. And if I can give some more context, I'm not even as upset at Emerson Egrich as I am, to be honest, at Focus on the Family. Because there's always people who are going to get things wrong. But the reason his book went as big as it did is because things like Focus on the Family promoted it and they're sticking behind it despite knowing how much harm it does. And that is heartbreaking. And I'm also in this difficult position now and that I want to stop talking about this but people keep sending me stuff and when Keith and I when my husband and I did that podcast last year where we took apart the blog post that Emerson Egrich did and we showed how he was gaslighting women um, I think that was one of the biggest podcasts of the year last year but we we only learned about that because someone sent it to me I don't listen to I don't read Emerson Egrich's blog I have way more no we didn't seek any of this out we didn't seek any of this out people sent it to us and then I had several people 
contacted me from Houston First Baptist uh, when Emerson Egrich was going to come speak and wanting um, to know what they should do to, to get him to stop speaking. And so I, I told them some of my issues. They sent that letter in. He was still asked to speak. He did speak. The videos were online. They sent the videos to me. I didn't know this. They sent the videos to me and said, take a look at this. We watched the videos. I took apart some of the clips that were really detrimental because, again, he was using women who are in emotionally abusive marriages as the butt of a joke. And he'd said to women, if you think your husband is abusive, you need to realize he's just being honorable. <laughs> it was just so problematic. And yet Houston first invited him. And, mm -hmm. and I, I am heartbroken and people keep sending me this stuff. So I really hope that this is the end. I'm planning for this to be the end. We're going to have a big, um, repository of all our information about love and respect up on the blog it, it probably isn't going to be ready this week but it will be soon with all the links to everything um in the in the podcast description for this podcast you can read the email chain that rebecca was talking about and some other things um but i, I really do hope that we're done but i can't guarantee that because people might send us something else which is absolutely horrible that we have to respond to but but this is us shaking the dust off our feet yep we've done all that we can to bring to light the fact that people are hurting and the reality is it is now up to the people who have been warned to do something with that information mm -hmm. and i just encourage you to pray that people's hearts are softened because we have been experiencing a lot of hardened hearts as we talk about this a lot of hearts that are hardened towards women that are hardened against women and who are hardened against those who are suffering in a way that is inconvenient to their business model yeah and so we're going to be stepping back you know, we're not going to be talking about this as much anymore because we want to keep going forward in our Iron Sharpening Iron series, how to confront your spouse, how to get positive change in your marriage, uh, how to move towards healthy intimacy for Valentine's Day, all of those wonderful things. And so we think our role is done, but maybe it's now time for all of you to take up the torch. Exactly. I mean, the reality is we can do all that we can because we have a pretty large platform. But at the end of the day, we were really three people who were <laughs> working on this. But what would happen if you know, everyone who read those blog posts or everyone who's now listening to the podcast just said something when they saw Love and Respect on a friend's bookshelf or who went to their church library and sent the librarian the stuff about Love and Respect and how damaging it is to get it out of the church library. Because the reality is we need to take personal ownership and at some point we need to stop relying on other people to speak up for us. Mm -hmm. And I know that so many of you are already doing that and I just want to encourage you that yeah, you might get some pushback from people who are really for this theology, but if you stand up for those who need compassion with compassion and show people that people are being harmed and they still decide to support it, that is not on you. But at least you've done something to try to prevent future harm from being done. Mm -hmm. I got a wonderful email from a woman in seminary where one of Emerson Egrich's books was on the curriculum. And this woman and some other married women who were in that class went to the professor and said, we don't think this is okay. They went to the president of the seminary and the president of the seminary agreed that it was not okay after they read the blog posts and it will not be in the curriculum next year. And so that's what it takes, just people speaking up where you are. Not everyone is going to read my blog posts. Not everyone's going to listen to this podcast, but you guys have. And so I am passing the torch to you. And I thank you for picking it up. All right. I've brought my husband, Keith, on for this <laughs> next segment of our hopefully, please, God, final Love and Respect podcast. 
<laughs> Hello, everyone. And you, we, we did the podcast together a little while ago when we talked about uh, his blog post on gaslighting. And that was actually, I think, the number one podcast from last year. Oh, wow. Yeah. So lots of people listen to you. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. Um, so the reason that I brought you on is because over the weekend, as I was getting ready to uh, publish that epic 5,000 word uh, letter that we sent to focus on the family, um, the open letter that I published yesterday on the blog, um, I wanted to get some hard and fast numbers from our survey. And mm-hmm. so in our survey uh, that was sent out uh, to 22,000 women, completed it, um, we had some open-ended questions where we asked what resources helped your marriage, uh, whether they were books, ministries, whatever, and what resources hurt your marriage. And we did not have a list of resources, and we hadn't mentioned any resources in the survey. So this was, this was a pure open-ended question. And then Joanna, our stats person, who is just like a little kid in a candy store right now analyzing all this <laughs> stuff, she ran um, some uh, tests yeah. that have names that I don't know what they are because I'm not a stats person. But oh, yeah. She, well, she, basically, yeah, she basically tried to weed <laughs> through the thousands of responses you had mm-hmm. to sort of quantify which resources, you know, Gave, gave, said they helped the most. Which one said? Yeah, they so we just the most. so we looked for words in each of those in each of those responses. Uh, but then that wasn't sufficient because we needed human eyeballs to look at it. Because often what would happen is under which resources harmed your marriage, for instance, it would say something like that may be positive about one thing, but then they say, but in contrast, yeah, or they say they they say they'd say something like. Um, oh, it wasn't until I read Leslie Vernick's The Emotionally Destructive Marriage that I realized how much harm love and respect did to me. And so Leslie Vernick's The Emotionally Destructive Marriage was also in the harm category, even though they were actually saying that it helped, mm-hmm. right? So that, that's an example. So, so we had to actually have human eyeballs, and you're a human with eyeballs. And <laughs> well, and it required going through reams and reams of data and reading stuff and saying, okay, does this fit? Is this, are they trying to say that it hurt them? Are they trying to say it harmed them? And yeah. yeah, it just required a lot of by the computer doing that stuff, and you just you have no patience for that kind of thing. <laughs> I really don't, and and you wanted help, which I'm very grateful yeah, for. No, it's good. So I was, it was, it was, I was interested way. to read it actually. Yeah, and so you looked through, you actually read all of these responses, and well, we need you know, we need to the, say the ones that we flagged that were relating to resources, right? And we need to say too that love and respect was the most common answer for what resource harmed your marriage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it was it it was by far. The, the book that did the most harm. And so you read all of those those responses. And what did you find? You want to tell us any well, yeah, well, The other thing that was interesting is it was also one of the books that a lot of people said helped their marriage yes. too. Yes, yes. There's a large number of people that said that. So I do think, to be fair, we have to say that. Right. But but, but, but the hurt did outnumber the help. Yes, that's yes. true. And the other thing to me was, as you're looking through the comments, there was kind of a recurring theme uh, when they talked about love and respect. And the issue was that women said that this book perpetuated or enabled abuse in mm-hmm. their relationships. And they mm-hmm. said that. That mm-hmm. was their words. Mm-hmm. Um, and two women actually said, this book almost killed me. Yeah. Um, one said literally, and the other one said something like, I'm not exaggerating or, or something right. like that. And that just broke my heart because, I mean, that's, that's, you know, we have done such a terrible job in the church about identifying abuse and calling out abuse. And we really need to be doing a better job of that. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and I just don't think it is sufficient to say once or twice in your book, of course I don't condone, condone abuse, 
mm-hmm. and think that that's enough. Yeah, and that's what I was saying in my post on Tuesday, which I will also link to in the description to this podcast. So please go check that out. For every podcast, I also have a corresponding post on the blog post where I do link to a lot of other resources. So I had a post up on Tuesday, uh, which said, is it okay if Christian books do a little bit of harm? Yeah. <laughs> and I was and I was using this example where every Christian book, like even created to be his helpmeet, which I believe was the number two resources that harm. Please don't ever read that if you haven't read it. It's not worth your time, but it's just atrocious. But even that book, which is so heavily the husband is in charge even she says you know if um if you're being abused call the police but then in that book she also gives an example of a husband attacking his pregnant wife in the kitchen with a kitchen knife with a kitchen knife and her like like debbie pearl's advice was figure out what you did to provoke him so here's an obvious abusive dangerous situation and she's not calling the police and that's the problem is that you can't say if someone's being abused call the police but then also give anecdotes in the book of abusive situations without calling them abuse absolutely because we know i mean we know very well from the medical and the psychological and sociological literature Mm -hmm. that there's a cycle and just and just to point out you are a medical doctor yeah 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 yeah. And there's 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 a cycle and the cycle is that some crisis occurs and he and I'll say he and I'm not discounting that there are male victims of, of abuse in marriage. Yeah. And there really are. I think uh, the numbers are almost equal in terms of abuse, but in terms of harm done and severity of abuse, it's very much uh, the male on the female. Well, certainly from the criminal statistics, yeah. The, yeah. you know, the, the reports of the police, mm-hmm. the, it's much more the male than the, than the mm-hmm. female that's usually the abuser. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'm going to say, I'm going to use the, the term he because that's where it, what it is most of the time. But he does something, you know, he lashes out and there's this crisis. And then what happens following that is remorse. Uh, he apologizes. He starts getting romantic again. She says, oh, he's back to the man I married. Um, he's never going to do it again. There's, uh, I'm, he's going to get help. All these kind of things happen, and that's what he says. Yeah, and often in the Christian circles, he's repented. That's what they that, say too. That's he's the tr- repented. yeah. I was, yeah, yep. that's that's where I was going with this. Is yep. that, and then there's this this period of time where you're now into the tension part of the cycle, where mm-hmm. things are not good again, and you're walking on eggshells, and you're nervous, and you're afraid he's going to blow up, and then the next crisis happens, and it's a cycle, and it happens many many times, mm-hmm. and it usually happens many many times before a woman gets help, mm-hmm. and then it often happens many many times after she gets help, mm-hmm. and many many women need to leave multiple times before they finally leave for good Mm -hmm. we just know that that's in the literature that's the truth that's out there Mm -hmm. so when when egrich in his book uses examples which are clearly Mm -hmm. abusive and doesn't address that i think that that's really dangerous i don't think that's appropriate like there's one story he gives of a man who was arrested for domestic assault Mm -hmm. Uh, and the point of the story was that god got a hold of him in jail and he realized he needed to love his wife more. And he came home and he loved his wife more and his wife respected him more and everything was fine after that and now they counsel other couples. And you know, I think that's great for this marriage that they were able to reconcile, but I think it's it's irresponsible to put that story in a book Mm -hmm. and not make some comment that this is not the norm. Yeah. And I think that's dangerous because women who are out there who are being abused think, oh, he's going to be fine now. Uh, Mm -hmm. If I just respect him, he's going to turn around and love me and everything's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And so often that's not the case. And so many Christian resources do that. They say, he's repented. You need to let him back in. Look, where's the, you need to get yourself safe first. Mm -hmm. You need to put safeguards in place. 
he needs to have accountability. Mm -hmm. He needs to demonstrate that he's different. Over a long period of exactly. time. Exactly. Yeah. Before you even talk about putting yourself in a position where you're vulnerable again. Mm -hmm. That's what we should be saying. That's what the secular world is saying. Mm -hmm. And we are miles behind it. And it's a terrible, terrible shame. Yeah. And then even in the book, when he does talk about, you know, this repentant husband coming home, his last words on this subject is, but she learned to respect him and not react to his anger. So he puts the blame on her for not fixing the abusive situation like the responsibility is now on her to not react to his anger yeah. and that's just ridiculous yeah i think we the church and dangerous to, yeah we need to stop we need to start speaking out about abuse mm -hmm. and we need to start shining light on that right that's not that's not christ-like mm -hmm. i mean there's 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 nothing christ-like about allowing something like that to go on mm -hmm. that is not the character of, of the jesus that i know and serve mm -hmm. and i just it breaks my heart and not only that emerson egrich himself makes fun of emotional abuse and uses it as the butt of jokes. And if you haven't seen the videos of him giving the sermon that I put in uh, the letter to focus on the family yesterday, please click on that. That's worth watching if you want to see his utter disdain for people who bring up the subject of abuse and who say, but hold on a minute, you're enabling abuse. And then he uses it as the butt of jokes in sermons, the fact that people would even insinuate that. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't even, he, he, he's not even humble enough to say, maybe we should actually care about these, these women. Now, some people, though, did say that the book helped. In fact, a lot of people said the book helped. Yeah, there was quite a few people that said it helped. And, and, you know, and there are some good things in this book. I mean, it's, there's a lot of things that I think are, are probably helped a lot of marriages. Uh, I mean, the whole, um, he talks about the pink and blue sunglasses and hearing aids. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, uh, how sometimes we interpret what our spouse says or does through our own perspective rather than what there really is on their heart. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think it's important to recognize that your spouse does have a different perspective on life than you. Mm -hmm. uh, and that sometimes you may be misinterpreting things. They may see it differently than you do. But I just don't see why it has to be a gender thing. I mean, like gender is one of the things that we disagree on. But, you know, there's other things like our, you know, our cultural backgrounds or our upbringing or even just our personality types mm -hmm. you know so i think a healthier message would, would instead of it being about men and women just being about hey like have some grace for each other like when a person says something that you feel is disrespectful or unloving to you that you know see it try and see it through the filter of their eyes what are they really thinking like not mm -hmm. assume that they're out to get you mm -hmm. you know and i think that's a very positive thing and i think a lot of people take that away yeah uh, as well from that and they get that out of that but it's it's but he does it in terms of entirely about the male-female thing, which is unfortunate. Yeah, and then there's also that other thing that you felt found was helpful, which a lot of people talk about, which is the crazy cycle. Oh yeah, the crazy cycle versus the energizing cycle. I mean, it's really, it's a really good. Mm -hmm. And for really those who concept. for for those who haven't read the book, the crazy cycle just means that when you feel disrespected or unloved, you withdraw and you return. Yeah. So so in in Egrich's book, it's he feels disrespected, so he acts unloving or mm -hmm. she feels unloving so she acts disrespectful and and then what happens is each of those triggers the the same reaction so more disrespect causes more unloving more mm -hmm. unloving causes more disrespect and so forth and get this cycle versus the energizing cycle is where is that she loves despite so she respects despite feeling uh, unloved and he loves despite feeling unrespected and they start you know cycling in a better direction you know and that and that whole concept is is a good concept to practice in marriage and i you've talked about well we've talked about it our uh, like lots of times mm -hmm. you've written about it like our initial problems in our marriage were mm -hmm. that was the spiral we were we were in we were reacting to each other negatively when we when we perceived negative you know feelings from our spouse we responded negatively as well mm -hmm. 
Yeah, for sure. It's it's like First Peter 3, 9, right? Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Yeah. So. And that's a really positive, and that has such a, a tremendous dynamic change in so many marriages. Mm-hmm. You know? And the, the example that I've used at marriage conferences is too is like the whole concept of the dominoes. Mm-hmm. You know, like you have a, like all these dominoes set up in a row and then when you click the first one, they all fall into place and they keep going. Yeah. Um, and what happens in relationships is we often have this domino effect where you react badly and your spouse then re- reciprocates that and you just keep getting worse and worse and worse. But the, the way that you stop a dominoes from falling is you get ahead of it and you pluck a domino out. Mm-hmm. And the dominoes stop falling. Yeah, it stops the, that chain reaction. Yeah. So yeah. if you make a conscious effort when you're treated poorly by your spouse to not respond in kind, mm-hmm. but to respond by being kind, mm-hmm. then you can make a big difference. And that's that's really powerful. The thing the, the problem I have with Edgar with the way Eggrich handles is that he says it's specifically that it's not about because I would say, you know, if a man feels disrespected or unloved by his wife he should still show her love and respect. Mm-hmm. And if a woman feels disrespected or unloved by her husband, she should still show him love and respect. That's the right. way I said. But he specifically says that if the wife feels unloved, she needs to show respect. That's the key. Yeah. And if he feels disrespected, he needs to show love, and that's the key. And he makes a very, very big deal about this. Mm-hmm. And, and he says it multiple times. We have the love thing down. What we're missing is the respect piece. Mm-hmm. He says this several times. Uh, and, and, and there's one point where he says that 50% of marriages are still falling apart because we've not mastered the respect piece. So for him, it's all about the respect thing. Which is, means that it's all about women wrecking marriages. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the implication. Yeah. I don't think he ever says that, but that's that. if I were a woman, that's the way I would take it. Yeah, I think even on the very first page, he says this book is about showing women how to respect their husbands because uh-huh. we already know how to love. And so that's the that's the rest of the book and the, the thing for me about the respect thing that bugs me is because it says very early on like you were, i think you said once he doesn't ever define respect yeah not he doesn't actually say respect no, means this but but to me it's very clear early on in the book he says at one point um you know very well what the difference is you respect your boss you don't love your boss right and to me that's the thing that in the, me that's the that seals it for me because yeah. you know i'm i guess i'm not a godly husband because <laughs> i have never desired to be your boss yeah. that's just not where i'm at that's not in my not my DNA. Like, you know, and the problem I have with that, and so many Christian materials out there that say the same thing, which is it's, it's like they're implying that if the men were just in charge, everything would be fine. And the problem is we aren't, the men aren't in charge. If the men were just in charge and leading and their wives were submitting mm-hmm. to them, everything would be okay. Mm-hmm. And, and I just have, I have a huge theological problem with that because I don't think that that's what head means. It doesn't mean being a boss. I just don't believe that. But mm-hmm. but I respect there's a lot of people who have different views on what it means and all that kind of stuff, and there's a lot of debate about this. But to say that the problem is that mm-hmm. men aren't being the boss, mm-hmm. like forget about your theology. That's just demonstrably false. Yeah. Like <laughs> it's not true. Um, and the you know I'm doing a, uh, my first blog post later this month so everyone yes. watch this space yes and, and i talk about that because there's actually good evidence that the best marriages are when people can work together they mutually respect and love each other and they seek to understand each other's points of view and they work together as a partner part as partners mm-hmm. to you know go forward in their relationships rather than one person being in charge it just bothers me 
You know, it's interesting when we look at the list of the books that did the most harm versus the books that really helped you know, that, and that had good ratios, there were, there were big commonalities, which is that the books and resources that did the most harm were the ones that tended to see all of marriage in terms of gender and in mm -hmm. terms of rules and in terms of living out roles. And the books that did that helped were the books that just simply gave you tools to live well together mm -hmm. and, and to grow intimacy and to grow vulnerability and authenticity in your relationship. And whenever we make marriage into something which is solely about roles, we end up putting this layer of pharisaical teachings on it because mm -hmm. then it's all about living by rules and not by the spirit. And mm -hmm. that's, and things just get really messed up when we do that, especially when there's also this element of authority and power and it just doesn't work. Mm -hmm. So, um, so the good news I think though is that the message is getting out there. I agree. It's nice to see that. Yeah. And so, you know what people in, in this month, as we're doing the iron sharpening iron series on the blog and how to actually help each other grow into better people, um, which is exciting and how to talk about the, the important stuff. And so join, join me on the blog for to love honor and vacuum, because we are looking at how practically you can grow a marriage where you do feel heard, where you do feel respected and loved, where you feel like, yeah, I can bring up issues and we can be moving towards something better together. Yeah. As you both spur each other on. Yeah. And that, that's actually the verse that's underlying the whole thing that you spur each other on to love and good deeds. Hebrews 10, 24. That's one of my favorite verses. And, and I think that should be the mission for all of us that we spur each other on to love and good deeds. And if we're doing that, if we're looking to Jesus and spurring each other on to love and good deeds, and we're not worried so much about him being the boss and her showing respect and him showing love. No, just love and respect each other people and, and treat each other well and point each other to Jesus and things will go a whole lot better. 